Amen. Well, we are in Mark chapter 4, and I encourage you to turn there if you have a Bible. If not, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, Mark records for us in Mark chapter 4 a series of three parables that Jesus told. And a uh, reminder from last week, Jesus used parables in order to get people thinking about the kingdom that he was proclaiming. So last week, we looked at that famous parable concerning the sower and, and, the, and the various kinds of soils upon which the sower threw his seed. Uh, some fell on the path, and um, the path was hard, and the birds would come along and eat the seed that was sown there. Some fell on soil that had the rocky substrata not far beneath the surface that was common in the Middle East, and, and the seed would germinate and begin to grow, but then with the heat of the summer, it would die. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns would win at the end of the day. The weeds always seem to win every year in the garden, and, uh, and so they would get choked out, and it would die. But then some of the seed fell on good soil, and that seed would grow, and there'd be a, a tremendous greater than expected harvest that would take place. And the sower that was uh, referred to in that parable last week was Jesus initially, but then also all who follow after him, sowing the seed that was the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and the various soils represented the various ways in which people responded to the gospel message. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, it's possible that in that last like 45 seconds in which I began to remind us about that parable, you began to tune out because you've heard it so many times and you just kind of stopped listening. That's the very thing Jesus was warning us about, is warning us about in this passage, that we pay attention. Ten times in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says either listen or pay attention, because the danger is that we just stop listening. There's all kinds of reasons we fail to pay attention to Jesus, to really listen to what he's saying. First of all, there's noise all around us all the time. Um, back when people were still in restaurants, it was measured that the common kind of noise level in a U.S. restaurant is at 80 decibels. Common uh, conversation level is 60 decibels. So you've been in a restaurant, you know how hard it is to, to really pay attention to the person across the table from you because of all the noise. Well, guess what? The decibel level in our own hearts is well above 80. Not to mention everything that's going on in the media and, and everything that's going on just in the world right now that serves to distract us from really listening to Jesus. Then, for those of us who have been Christians for any length of time, uh, there's the problem of familiarity with Jesus. Uh, Kate Murphy is the author of a book that was recently released titled, You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters. Uh, in a recent New York Times article, she said that during her two years of researching for that book, she learned something incredibly ironic about interpersonal communication, and it's this. The closer we feel to someone, the less likely we are to listen carefully to them. Now, if you're married, you're like, thank you, Captain Obvious. That's exactly what I experience at times in my marriage. Well, social scientists call it the closeness communication bias. And it's essentially the auditory equivalent of no longer noticing the signposts or the scenery on the road that you travel 
every day to work. So there's that. And then there's also kind of a confirmation bias when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We think we know what he's saying. And so that's what we hear. Perhaps don't actually hear what he's actually saying. Well, that happened in the first century and it happens today. And if the people following Jesus in this passage, if the people following Jesus in this day needed to pay attention in order to hear what he was saying about the way in which the kingdom would begin, then people today need to be paying attention in order to really hear what he's saying about the way in which the kingdom will grow and the way in which the kingdom will ultimately find its consummation when Jesus Christ returns. So we need to hear what Jesus has to say about the hidden reality of the kingdom of God. We also need to hear what Jesus has to say about the unexpected growth of the kingdom of God. Because what he says about both of those things, the, the hidden reality of the kingdom and the, the uh, unexpected growth of the kingdom, will recalibrate our expectations and reorient our hope toward that day in which his kingdom comes in all its fullness. So that's where we're headed, but first let's read the passage. Mark chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 21 through 34. Hear the word of God. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for preserving these parables in Mark chapter 4 for us down to this very day. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would seal the truths that are here in this passage to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're going to look at the hidden reality of the kingdom, and then we're going to look secondly at the unexpected growth of the kingdom to the end that our expectations concerning the kingdom of God are recalibrated. And that our hope, which is so often fixed on things of this earth alone, will be reoriented toward that day in which Jesus Christ returns and his kingdom is made fully manifest. So first point, the hidden reality of the kingdom. And we see that in verses 21 through 25. And as we make our way through those first set of verses, we're going to see two warnings and an encouragement. 
So let's take a look first at the first warning, and it's this, don't miss what's hidden. Don't miss what's hidden. Look at verses 21 through 23. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What is this? What's Jesus saying? Well, the, the lamp is the kingdom of God that has arrived in Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. He says that in John chapter 8 verse 12. And the kingdom is coming with him. He is the king. And so the lamp is the kingdom that has arrived in Jesus. The reality of who he is is not meant to be hidden. In the same way that a lamp is meant to be set up on a stand and light up the room, so too this good news about Jesus Christ is meant to be revealed and proclaimed to all. Now, the the irony in this passage is that what he is saying, this good news, this message of the kingdom, is actually hidden in the parables. And so it's only coming to light, if you will, to those who have been given ears to hear it initially in his ministry. It will be fully manifest on the day that Jesus Christ returns in all his glory. But for now, Jesus is saying, pay close attention. Listen, because the gospel that I am proclaiming centers on me, and I am the light of the world. So don't miss what's hidden. That's the first warning. Second, don't lose what's been given. So take a look at verse 24, first part of verse 24, and then verse 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, and then jump down to verse 25, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what is it that one has? And in context, what we learn is that what it is, is some level of understanding concerning the kingdom of God. So again, think back to our parable from last week, the seed that's sown. Some falls along the path, hardened hearts. Some falls along the soil that has just, you know, a shallow surface. And when the suffering comes, Jesus says in applying the parable, the plant dies. Some falls among the thorns of this world, the concerns and the cares and the anxieties, and it dies. And what Jesus is saying here is that don't lose what you have. Even what one has will be taken away if one isn't heeding, paying attention to, and obeying the gospel of the kingdom. And so, don't have that taken away from you, that understanding. So, what's the warning for us? Well, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're listening right now, the warning is that you not harden your heart toward God, that you not allow the the word that's been read, the word that's been sung, and the word that I'm preaching to you to fall on deaf ears, to fall on a hard heart, but to actually listen and pay attention, believe, and ultimately follow Jesus Christ and obey what he says. If you are a Christian, the warning here is to not presume upon your relationship with him. Don't ever presume upon God's grace. This is the God of the universe. To be in a living relationship with him is entirely of grace, and we should never, ever presume upon that. So don't miss what's hidden. Don't lose what's been given. And then finally here, uh, the third thing we get is an encouragement. Listen well for greater growth. Listen well for greater growth. So look at verse 24 again with me. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Now, Jesus is going from one metaphor, which is a lamp, to a second metaphor, which is the measure. And the measure, this was actually language that had to do with commerce. You know, the measure was what was used to measure out uh, grain or some other good that a person was paying for in that day and age. So the way in which you made sure you were getting, you know, the right amount of product for what you were paying was via the scoop or the measure that was used. And what Jesus is saying here is to the degree that you heed the message of the kingdom. And I use the word heed because in both the Hebrew and the Greek, to listen is to obey. You, you didn't simply hear it, you actually followed through on it and you did it. Which is why it was, you know, kind of like, like for James to have to say, don't merely listen to the word, do what it says. It's kind of a non sequitur. Of course those two things should have gone together. Um, one should have flown from the other. And in that case it wasn't. But anyway, coming back to here. Jesus is saying, listen, to the degree that you heed what I'm saying, grace will be poured out to you. But he goes on a little bit further and he says, and still more will be added to you. Now that's very interesting. We, we gloss over that. But this is, this is like where Paul says in Romans, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Grace hyper-increased. There's this sense of compound grace, grace upon grace. Jesus is saying the same thing here. You would expect that if you paid a certain amount, you would receive a certain amount. This is the language of commerce. We like to think, though, in terms of applying the second half of verse 24, in the language of compound interest. Now, this used to hold you know, more true than it does now before you know, things kind of tanked with the stock market due to the COVID crisis. But once upon a time, you would make investments in the stock market and you would see the compound interest begin to happen. Remember using compound interest calculators, right? But it would take for a while. You know, there'd be kind of this steady growth and then all of a sudden, over time, it would begin to arc up. That's a compound interest, a return on your investment that is, it's exponential. It's not one for one. And Jesus is in a sense saying that here. To the degree that you invest in the kingdom, in the sense of hearing and obeying the message, you will receive grace upon grace. You will receive even more than what you've put in. You will grow. There'll be compound grace if you will listen and obey. So the application is simply that. Invest well in the kingdom. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying do what he says, and then wait patiently for the return. See, we, we start out in our Christian life, and we have all the desire in the world to obey God faithfully, to grow in God's grace, to experience more of his love for us. And it feels like slow growth. The investment of time in the means of grace, the investment of time in reading God's word, in prayer, in being in fellowship with other Christians, in worship, it pays off. Unlike the stock market, the kingdom of God will never crash. It'll never fail. So secondly, let's move on then, second point, to the unexpected growth of the kingdom. The unexpected growth of the kingdom. And you see that in these two parables that Jesus wraps up with here uh, in this section that we're looking at in Mark chapter 4. In these two parables, Jesus tells us three things about the kingdom of God. Things that, as I said before, will recalibrate our expectations and reorient our hope to the day that Christ returns. 
So the first thing we see here is that the kingdom began insignificantly. The kingdom began insignificantly. So take a look at verse 30 and 31. This is the beginning of the second parable in our section. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Now, technically it wasn't the smallest garden seed in that day. The orchid seed was the smallest. The point of the parable is the amazing contrast between the size of the seed and the tree that emerged from it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But for now, just, you know, I've never held a mustard seed. Maybe you haven't either. This thing is so small that if you have one in your hand, it's hard to see. It's easy to look right past it. It seems so insignificant. And Jesus' point here is, you know, as with the mustard seed, so too the kingdom of God in its beginning. It is beginning in an insignificant way, in a way that could be easily overlooked. And that was something that the disciples then and the followers of Christ now desperately need to hear. The disciples then needed to hear that nothing was going to go the way that they were expecting it to go when it came to the kingdom of God. Their expectation, the expectation of all the Jews at that time, was that the kingdom would come immediately, forcefully, and visibly. And what Jesus is teaching through these parables is that the kingdom will come inauspiciously, gradually, and mysteriously as we'll see in the parable that we're going to look at in just a second. And, you know, it's going to start with Jesus, this itinerant preacher, son of a carpenter, or so it seemed, and these ragtag group of 12 followers, one of whom would betray him and 11 of whom would, would deny him. From there would grow this worldwide Christian movement, the kingdom of God. So they needed to hear that. We need to hear it as well. We know the kingdom started this way, right? We, we're on this side of the cross. We, we see the fruit that's being born. Uh, but when it comes to our own lives, so many of us have, in terms of our Christian life, what seems like an insignificant beginning, a small beginning. Some of us have a testimony in which there's a radical change, you know, from the, you know, the, the contrast between what we were and, and what we are now that we're Christians is, is profound. It is visible. But for many of us, it was just a small beginning, just a small seed that took root, not immediate observable change externally or, or maybe even internally. But something's been planted and something is growing however insignificant it may be. So the kingdom of God had uh, uh, an indistinct beginning. It had uh, an insignificant beginning. But secondly, the kingdom of God grows secretly. So this is the parable in verses 26 through 29. Let's take a look. Verse 26, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. All right, so a couple things that Jesus is saying here about the kingdom that we also need to apply to ourselves. 
let's understand what the farmer would have understood. The farmer would have understood that the best he could do in that day was try to create an environment in which the seed could germinate. Farmers in that day couldn't cause the seed to germinate. Neither can we. Farmers in that day didn't really understand the processes that were going on. We can maybe explain it a little bit better than they could, but we can't ultimately cause it. And so the farmer would cast the seed and would trust that even though he cultivated and weeded, the seed, the power for growth was in the seed. The power for germination was in the seed. And there were things that he couldn't control. But ultimately, if there was going to be a harvest, it was going to be because God saw to the harvest. So there's the first thing the farmer knew. The second thing the farmer knew, and I think Jesus drives this home by the way in which he slows down in verse 28 and says, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Whenever in scripture you see language kind of slow down like that, a point's being made. And I think the point being made there is you got to wait. You got to wait. The harvest, it's a long time off. And so what's Jesus saying about the kingdom of God here? Well, so too the kingdom of God. The power for the growth of the kingdom is inherent in the kingdom itself, in the message of the kingdom. Now these disciples were going to suffer. They were going to face opposition as they preached the gospel. They were going to die. And they needed to know that the increase of this kingdom did not ultimately depend upon them. It depended entirely upon God. And they also needed to be reminded to be patient, to wait, and to be watching for the harvest. So there's an application for us today as well, right? I mean, as, as we think about the people with whom we've shared the gospel, the people that we love that we've told about Jesus Christ, we cannot cause that seed to grow We can scatter the seed. We can do the best that we can to nurture receptive soil. But in the end, God is the one who brings the germination. God is the one who brings new life. And we need to wait patiently. We need to wait patiently when we think about the people with whom we're sharing the gospel. We need to wait patiently when it comes to our own growth as well. Again, we can so quickly become disillusioned and and lose heart. Because we forget that this is a process. It's a process. First, the shoot, right? First, the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The Christian life involves slow but sure growth. We know this not only from the parable Jesus tells, but from places like Philippians 1.6 where the Apostle Paul writes, He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And so again, we do what we can to, to nurture the soil. We, we practice the means of grace. We, we read our Bibles. We pray. We worship. We enjoy fellowship, even if it means Zoom fellowship. We, we find ways to be together as God's people to encourage one another, to remind ourselves of these truths, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. But in the end, it is God who gives the growth, and we can trust that he will do so. So the kingdom of God began insignificantly. It grows unexpectedly. But the third thing we need to see here is that the kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth. This kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth. Now we see this in the second half of the parable of the mustard seed. So look down at verse 
Well, let's just read the whole thing. Verse 30 to 32 again. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, that was true. A little seed that you could easily overlook in your hand, the mustard seed, would grow up to be a bush that was 10 to 12 feet large. Mark uses, I mean, Jesus uses the word branches here. Matthew records Jesus saying tree with branches. Mark doesn't have the word tree in there. But that would have caught people's attention. Remember I said last week, the parables always involved some kind of a twist. There's a twist here, and there's a twist in the parable that I just read that I'll, that I'll go back to in a second. But the twist here would have been branches that shoot out in which the birds of the air can nest in its shade. And again, Matthew using the word tree. For a Jewish listener, they would have thought immediately of places like Ezekiel chapter 17 and Daniel chapter 4, where it talks in the case of Daniel chapter 4 about Nebuchadnezzar and the tree that was his kingdom growing worldwide and allowing uh, all the nests, all the trees of the, of the <laughs> all the birds of the air to nest in, its, in the tree and all the, all the animals to find shelter underneath it being cut down. In Ezekiel 17, which pictures the kingdom of God, the, the tree that is God's kingdom in which the, in which the birds of the air can, can nest. They would have heard Jesus hinting at that. If they were paying attention, they would have caught that Jesus is talking about the consummation of his kingdom. It's not just this insignificant beginning. It's not just this slow, gradual growth that's dependent entirely upon God. It is that day in which Jesus Christ returns and his kingdom is made fully manifest. A kingdom that extends to the ends of the earth. A kingdom of which people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation find shelter in this tree that is the kingdom of God. We need to catch that when we read this parable. We need to be reminded that the kingdom has a small beginning. It did then, and for many of us in our own lives, it's a small, seemingly insignificant beginning. We need to be reminded that this kingdom of God will grow gradually. It has been, even though all the forces of hell rage against it. And we remember that's true in our own lives as well. But ultimately, Jesus is wrapping up these parables here by pointing us to that great day when his kingdom comes in its fullness upon his return and people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation find shelter in him. Now, Jesus wraps up in verses 33 and 34 in a way that, that I find very encouraging. I hope you will too. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. I love the way that ends. Because I picture the disciples, after each of these parables, going to Jesus and saying, Okay, lay it on us, Jesus. What exactly were you saying there? And Jesus just patiently explaining what he was saying to those who were willing to listen. And so the encouragement is there for us. God, make us willing to listen to your son, Jesus Christ, and trust that by his spirit, through his word, he explains to us the things that we need to hear. So again, this, this kingdom of God, this kingdom message, it's hidden. We need to pay attention. We need to make sure we not miss what's hidden. 
We need to make sure we not lose what's been given. The little bit of understanding that we may have, don't let it be snatched away or choked out. And we need to trust that as we listen well and, and do what the word says, there will be a greater return of grace than we could possibly imagine. We need to be reminded and have our, our hearts and our expectations reoriented to the hope of the fullness of the kingdom of God through these parables in which though we know that the kingdom had a small beginning and though we struggle with the reality that its growth is slow, we can be reminded that because it's God's kingdom, it is sure and it will culminate in something greater than we can imagine. And we can be comforted in knowing that one day the harvest will be full and, and the sickle will come. See, that's the thing that probably would have caught their ears in that first parable that we read today. When Jesus said, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. They might have heard Joel chapter 2 there. And that agricultural imagery concerning the return of Jesus Christ and his judgment. And so there's warning here for us, but there's also great hope and great promise for all who have put their, Jesus, their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we can look back on the history of the church beginning with the Gospels. Church history starts here. And be reminded that the kingdom had a small beginning, is characterized by slow growth, but it will come in its fullness. But that's really what, where I want to end. What are your expectations when it comes to the fullness of the kingdom of God? In what way is your hope oriented toward that day? In light of everything that's happening right now, it's, it's seasons like this in our lives in which we have an opportunity because things are so disjointed to have our expectations reoriented to what's true to have our hope recentered upon the hope that is found in Christ alone. And my prayer for all of us is that that will in fact be what happens in this time, that, that, that we won't turn in on ourselves or turn away from God, but that in fact God will use this season to turn us toward him and the hope that is found in him alone, to turn us toward that day that is coming when he returns Times like this, whether it's because of the pandemic, which of course is a, you know, totally unexpected and global thing, or just because of the things that happen in our lives that are totally unexpected, but earth-shattering to us nonetheless. I, I tend to go to certain musical artists and certain songs in particular. Um, Josh Garrels and Andrew Peterson are two that I just kind of keep going back to all the time. And this week... Uh, it was an older song by Josh Garrels titled Farther Along. Um, I encourage you to listen to it. Uh, the title, you know, Farther Along, the first lines, Farther Along, we'll know all about it. Farther Along, we'll understand why. It's kind of the refrain throughout the song. The last verse gets me every time. One day when the sky rolls back on us, some rejoice and the others fuss. Because every knee must bow and tongue confess. The Son of God, He's forever blessed. His is the kingdom we're the guests, so put your voice up to the test. Sing, Lord, come soon. Come soon. What are you fixing your eyes upon? What's seen or what's real about the kingdom of God? And what are you placing your hope when it comes to the healing of this world? The, the, the power and the strength of man or the power of God? And what are your expectations when it comes to your 
life when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness? That you'll just be a slightly better version of your present self? Or that you will be more fully you than you have ever been? Having been transformed into the image of your Savior, Jesus Christ, and enjoying fellowship with Him and all of His people forever. Is that your hope? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. He is the light of the kingdom. He is the one sower who in fact can cause the seed to germinate and grow. And on the cross, he came under the sickle of God's judgment. So all who look to him in faith can know the joy of a worldwide harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to hear the truths of your kingdom to trust that all that Jesus said would come to pass will indeed come to pass. And Lord, would you fix our eyes upon him as we look eagerly and with great expectation for his return and for the fullness of the joy that is found in his kingdom alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.